Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. What can America do now to help the cause of Alexei Navalny? What's the most important thing? What are the actions America could take? The first action that we can take is the United States House of Representatives and pass the supplemental to help Ukraine defeat Russia. Uh, that is the first thing that we can do. That is something that is urgent and needed right now. Uh, and I would think that the American people should rally and urge Speaker Johnson, as soon as we get back the next week, to put the bill on the floor, the Senate bill that passed in a bipartisan way, and let's vote it out because it will show the unity of the United States and the rest of the, of the Democratic world against the actions of Vladimir Putin and what he has done to Mr. Navalny. So if Navalny had not been killed by Vladimir Putin, you wouldn't have to pass the supplemental? We've reached a level of, dear God, does anybody actually understand what they're saying when they say it these days? Do they pay attention? Do they care? Is there any decency left? The way you show support for the family of Navalny or those people who are in opposition to Vladimir Putin is to pass the thing you already said that had to be passed when he was alive. We live in the upside down. And that, Congressman Meeks, Democrat, that's a ridiculous argument. There is no shame. And that's the, that's the problem. There is no shame. So let us... Let us bring some. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything at TonyKatz.com. 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. You know that I believe in supporting Ukraine. I believe it is the right thing to do. I believe it's the smart thing to do. I believe it is better for the safety and the security of the United States. Because anybody who wants to say, Tony... It's Russia. It's their own internal fight. They'll take over. Ukraine can't win this. And then that'll be it. That is a position of ignorance. And I want to have the fight. Because this is the same exact position that would lead one to believe that Vladimir Putin has no expansionist ideas. Has no desire for global expansion. Has no desire to grow his power base. It is the same ridiculous idea as to believe that somehow Alexei Navalny was somehow a really bad guy and needed to be in jail. Next thing you know, you're going to tell me that Evan Gershkovich of the Wall Street Journal deserves to be in jail too. Everything Vladimir Putin does is a lie. It is all predicated on the need, want, and desire for power and how you get there. And how do you keep people from trying to take you out of power? And you do that through fear and intimidation. 
You know how many people want to ha- have sent me? Tony, just look how much nicer the the subway stations are in Russia than they are in the United States. You send me that Tucker Carlson nonsense? I don't care how pretty a subway station is. Do you want to live in a country where people are killed because they politically disagree with you? Now, the argument that has people upset is, well, dear God, look what's happening in the United States. Two things worth noting here. This is a conversation about Trump. Trump has not been killed. Man is alive and well, and so he should be. But the people concerned about this, or I should say the people who try to dismiss this concern, should really take a long look at what they've tried to do to Trump. And taking all of these indictments, playing them out in an election season, Of course, this is despicable. And as we have been arguing, is against an American ethos, against an American way of life. How could anybody think that this is okay? How could anybody think that this is valuable? And the answer is it's not. And I know that if if you take a look at at, at Trump, he'll tell you, see, this is exactly what, what what they're trying to do to me. The sudden death of Alexei Navalny, writes President Trump, has made me more and more aware of what is happening in our country. It is a slow, steady progression with crooked, radical left politicians, prosecutors, and judges leading us down a path to destruction. Open borders, rigged elections, and a grossly unfair courtroom decision are destroying America. We are a nation in decline, a failing nation, MAGA 2024. Okay. That's what you, that's what, that's what you wrote. You might want to take note of the fact that Vladimir Putin's guilty. It is hard sometimes for people to understand that multiple things can be taking place all at the same time. There is without any question the reality that we have a Democratic Party that is completely willing to not only beat up the Constitution, but pretend it doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Sorry. A little bit of the cold is left, so I'm pluralizing. I apologize for that. We have a Democratic Party willing to abuse the power. You don't think the DOJ has abused its power? Well, of course it has. Everywhere you look, this, this ruling against Trump, this wasn't the DOJ, this was this court in New York, the Attorney General, Letitia James, who ran for office saying, I'm going to go after a, a, a citizen. $350 million ruling. I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but people are okay with this? Can we discuss how completely unattached you are to a rule of law and decency if you think this decision is okay? But we have seen with our own eyes that people in in, in far too many ways politically, they don't care what the rules are. They're willing to destroy them for their purposes. They're not interested in the law. They're interested in their feelings and their feelings should reign supreme. Feelings shouldn't run supreme. Reality should reign supreme. That's what matters most. That is, as a matter of fact, the only thing that matters. So here's reality. 
Vladimir Putin killed Alexei Navalny. And anybody who says otherwise is a fool, a useful idiot, a world-class schmuck. If Trump should ever, ever make the statement, well, I don't know if if uh, Putin killed Zelensky, uh, killed uh, Navalny. World-class schmuck. Oh, I don't think the DOJ has violated anything in going after Trump. World-class schmuck, whoever that fool may be. By the way, I don't know if I'm going to get an email about about uh, the Yiddish. I don't know. Maybe we'll, maybe we won't. How about we just stick with reality here? Vladimir Putin is a killer. These are the facts. There is no law. There is only power. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. This is not debate. The idea that I have to now pass aid in Ukraine to show unity against Putin is simply not a rational position. A rational position is we want this aid for Ukraine so Ukraine has the bullets to fire against these uh, Russian soldiers because Putin keeps putting soldiers one after another after another not caring about human life and the Ukrainians cannot keep up. There simply aren't enough Ukrainians to keep up with the Russians. That is an argument. How about the other side of the argument? Who said you can't support Ukraine? We said the border has to come first, the southern border of the United States. So how about we just get it done? We finish the wall in the places we said we were going to. We add the technology to be able to monitor those areas that don't have a wall because the wall isn't necessary from sea to shining sea. It just isn't. And... We ensure that we are able to shut down the border as we see fit. As a matter of fact, Joe Biden has said said as much. Now discussing the fact that if he needs to, he will engage measures to reduce activity at the border. But wait a second. I thought you needed some kind of special legislation. Had to have some special legislation to do so. Oh, you don't? It's not necessary? Okay. It was never necessary. Never once, never ever. The president has has all of the power. He has the purview. Pass these things about the border. They're better for all of us. Then we can do Ukraine. You wanted to tie them together. The answer was no. How many more ways do you need to hear it? This isn't about whether or not we should support Ukraine, although we may have a disagreement about this. The vast majority of people are fine with supporting Ukraine. As a matter of fact, we should support Ukraine. But let's start where we start. Border first. I'm going to listen to Representative Meeks talk to me about unity against Putin. Can I see some unity with the American people? Can I see some unity with the people of Texas who are suffering? All those border towns that suffer, all those border patrol agents that aren't able to do their job because they're too busy making sure a child has a sandwich. I'm not opposed to children having sandwiches. I'm opposed to border patrol agents who are there to protect the border feeding kids because that's not supposed to be their job. 
show unity with the people of the United States of America by working towards securing the border with just these basic things. Continue building the wall, the money for the technology, technology in the places where there isn't a wall. Let's just start with that. I used to have a list of like three or four things. Now it's just this. Show America. Representative Meeks can't do that. That too hard to figure out? That too hard to get done? By the way, a reporter asking President Biden, this is with the helicopter in the background, whether Republicans are to blame. You are walking away from your responsibility to the United States of protecting the citizenry by not ensuring the border is secure. You! Republicans don't know how to spin this. By the way, you under you heard what this reporter asked, right? The blood of Alexei Navalny is on the hands of Republicans? That's the question? His blood is on the hands of Republicans? Anybody, I don't know who the reporter was, and I don't know the network, but any Republican who does an interview with that network is out of their mind. The Republican Party in unison should tell the reporter to go to hell and the network to go to hell. The blood is on the hands of Vladimir Putin. Where in the world would they even think of getting this idea of blaming the Republican Party? And the answer is Representative Ted Lieu is already blaming Trump. So I agree with President Biden that Russia is responsible for his death. Also, what happened in a few days leading up to his death? Well, we had former President Donald Trump essentially say that Russia should attack European countries. That is crazy. That is traitorous language. Russia certainly was listening. And I think they thought, hey, we now have a green light to do all sorts of crazy stuff. And if Trump would be president, Putin would have even more latitude. Some responses. Russia has funded terrorism. They are a state sponsor of terrorism. The State Department could designate Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. In addition, I'm done listening to you. What does any of this have to do with Trump at all? At all? How in the world do you get to this idea that Trump is is responsible? You sound like a crazy person. Luckily, MSNBC is there to double down on this. A link between what Donald Trump was saying, saying, Russia, do whatever the hell you want, tornado allies. Do do you think it, it emboldened potentially Putin? Because to your other point, the day before he died, he looked to be in perfectly good health. He'd spoken with his wife. He appeared via Zoom uh, in some sort of a, a legal arraignment that he had to do there. We're looking at pictures right there. He was joking with the guards, joking with the judge or an attorney there. He looked absolutely fine. The next day, drops dead. I think it's quite a coincidence. 
These people are conspiratorial freak children. But anything to blame Trump, anytime. There is no question that the abuses of the DOJ are the things of banana republics and of authoritarian governments. And yes, Vladimir Putin is an authoritarian. This goes without saying. But to not recognize that Vladimir Putin is the reason Alexei Navalny is dead is nuts. But to think that funding for Ukraine is the only way to respond. No, it's not. But if you want the funding for Ukraine, start protecting the border. And if you want to talk about where you're supposed to show your fealty and where you're supposed to show your your connectivity and where you're supposed to show your respect, it's for the American citizens, Congressman Ted Lieu or Congressman Gregory Meeks or President Biden. Support Ukraine, sure, but America first. That isn't difficult to figure out. I'm Tony Katz. So I'm heading to Israel. I don't know what happened to my music either. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything at TonyKatz.com. I appreciate it if you would. Uh, yeah, I leave next week. I leave next Wednesday. Indianapolis, uh, over to uh, JFK, and then uh, to Tel Aviv. Uh, I'm, I'm going to base there, and I have a... A couple places to hit. I'm not discussing every place that I'm that I'm going, although we've got all the dispatches. So here here's how it's gonna work. I, I was trying to figure out how how I do the show live, right? How do I how do I uh do the show while I'm there and and just timing wise, it doesn't work for all the things that I've got going on. People meeting, reporters, uh, elected officials. We're trying to get in touch with some heavy hitters. Going to be talking with soldiers, all, all people who have lost their homes, uh, a bunch of things. So couldn't figure out with that timing how to be able to do the show. So what we're going to be doing is sending dispatches. Every chance I get to share something that I've just seen it's coming your way. Videos coming your way. The, the, the whole thing. The whole thing is happening. So I, I leave on Wednesday and I get back that following Thursday. So it, I call it a week. Call it a week that I will be uh, in Israel and I will be all over the place and sharing what's going on and, and, and what's happening. Uh, there has to be, and there sadly is not, the counter to this to this madness that is going on on college campuses and this madness from people like uh, representative Rashida Tlaib who is now aggressively stating that people should not vote for Joe Biden please know that you can early vote today until February 17th. They are open here, specifically here from 9 to 5. Check with your local clerks. There are early voting all throughout the 12th Congressional District. It is important, as you all know, to not only march against the genocide, not only make sure that we're calling our members of Congress and local electeds and passing city resolutions all throughout our country. It is also important to create a voting block, something that is a bullhorn to say enough is enough. And you don't have to vote for Joe Biden. An actual call to withhold support from Joe Biden from progressives. 
Well, I don't think Joe Biden's been a great help to Israel. Some big talk in the beginning has not materialized to anything. And progressives, I mean, they are the Jew haters. This is not surprising. Someone's got to combat this. I'm going to go tell some stories, share the stories. I'm Tony Katz. Actually, give a warning when I say the story out of Minnesota. Should be a warning because when you hear a story out of Minnesota, you know it's going to be a problematic story. You know it's going to be some story about progressivism that's going to make you lose your head. And if you say to me, Tony, listen, man, we get it. You're on the political right, but every single story is like. If the progressives wouldn't be so criminally insane, I would have less stories about this. But this is a this isn't about, oh, look at what they're up to now. It is. Can you believe they're still up to something else? And every single thing is about how I live my life, how you live your life. Maybe if we were left alone, these wouldn't be stories that we discuss. We would discuss other things. But when they are stories about how we live our lives how dare anybody be upset that we notice? This is what makes the entire conversation about uh, culture wars so so great. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, 833-468-8669. Got Tony. That is the number. The the Remember when they said, well, we don't think you should have a gas stove. And people said, whoa, 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 leave my gas stove alone. And then they said, we never brought up gas stoves. Why are you bringing up culture wars? Oh, you and your culture wars. And then they started moving rules and regulations about gas stoves and gas furnaces and gas heaters. Why in the world do you not want me to have a gas stove, a gas furnace, or a gas heater? Is it because an electric stove, an electric heater, an electric furnace is easier to shut down, to regulate, to decide when and where I can use the power? And you say, oh, see, culture war. You think everyone's trying to control you. Well, just take a look at every single bit of legislation you put forward. Well, we're not the ones pushing all these abortion laws. The abortion laws are about the baby in the lady. And by the way, it is a baby. And by the way, it is a lady. Oh, you can claim that her name is Steve. From now until the end of time, that's a woman. Steve is a woman because only women get pregnant. Don't need to be a biologist. Don't need to uh, have any fancy degrees. I need no college education whatsoever to know for a fact that only the ladies make babies. And if you tell me, well, men can have babies. Ain't nobody got time for that. Because they don't. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's move ourselves over to Minnesota. Well, that's just great. Just wait to hear it. Wait to hear it. Calm down. Settle down. Well up. Democrats seek to eliminate belief-based vax exemptions for families enrolled in daycare. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. But let me explain. 
You see, the problem is, is that is that uh, the, these 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 childcare facilities they have a right to uh, protect and 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 uh, defend the children, right? They got to keep the children safe and, and and healthy. And then there's these parents out there, the, these these just awful religious parents. Oh, you suck! That that don't believe in in certain you know vaccines, and they don't want their kid filled with these vaccines. Now, if you ask me if I think they're right, the answer is no, I don't. I don't think they're right. I've discussed before that when when my kids were born, um, we got with our doctor and we did change their vaccination schedule. It's not that we did away with vaccinations. We changed the schedule. We looked at what was happening and said, this is too much too quick. And you would say to me, you're not a medical professional. You're absolutely right. I am the parent and I make the decision. (gasps) Yay. Now we understand how the hierarchy works. It's like the conversation about education. People say that education is for the kid. Oh, 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 they're so, they're, they're so horrifically wrong. Education is for the parent. The parent decides the kid's education and the parent decides where that education should happen. And this is why the money should follow the child, but the parent gets to decide what that money is being utilized for. I believe in the parent's role in a child's life. And I do not accept anybody who tries to uh, engage any type of interference in that relationship. The school does not exist to replace the parent. The school should exist to assist the parent. But right now, via public unions, we have schools that exist to replace the parent. Oh, you can't get them breakfast? Don't worry, we'll, but we'll, we'll feed them. Can't get them lunch? Don't worry, we'll feed them. Can't get them dinner? Don't worry, we'll feed them. You don't need to know what's in the textbook. We've got it. You don't need to know if your child's going through something. We've got it. We'll provide them the mental health services. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll take care of this. We'll let you know if you need to be informed. You are on a, uh, what is it, a need-to-know basis? They call that a, you're on the need-to-know basis, parent. Your job was to drink some Boone's uh, Farm, impregnate the, uh, uh, the, the the baby carrier, because we don't call them women anymore, and then and then drop the kid off at school. That's your job. Well, that's the the, the parents looked at that and uh, they said um, that is uh, delegitimatized. That is a terrible idea. As a matter of fact, that is so crazy. That is so, you are so insane if you think that. Ding fries it done. Ding fries it done. That, that, fries it done. Ding excuse me. Excuse done. me. No, Peter. Peter, I'm trying. I'm trying to do a radio show. Peter, would you please? Making flavor whoppers. I whip paper. Would you like an apple pie with that? Would you like an apple pie with that? Ding fries it done. Ding fries it done. Ah, man, that was a lot. So you have the, the these these teachers, these school districts that now want to say when it comes to private daycare that we should eliminate conscientiously held beliefs as a protected immunization exemption that are that private daycares are forced to honor. Now this is interesting. Because one could argue, wait a second, if I have a business, if I have a daycare, then 
can't I say I only take children that have their proper immunizations, quote unquote, because that's what's best for my business? I would think that that's an acceptable thing. Just just to start a conversation, that would be acceptable. So Minnesota statutes covering immunizations currently treat private child care at centers similar to public schools where the conscientiously held beliefs are statutorily, statutorily, sorry, uh, protected. So what this woman is saying is it shouldn't be protected because what, what this lawmaker is attempting to do, Senator Liz Bolden, what she's attempting to do is to break the idea that a parent has a say. Now, there is a difference between the private and the public sector. There is a difference between what people do with their private business versus what people do publicly. And I mean, meaning the government, et cetera. So one could argue that a private business, a private daycare has this right. The problem is you're stating that the private business can discriminate based on what? Religion. People could decide not to immunize for a panoply of decisions. Some of that could be religious, could be it could be any reason. They could have all sorts of reasons. Here we refer to it as conscientiously held beliefs. Again, it's it's the cold. I, I apologize. I feel great. Oh, I feel like a million bucks just right now. It, it came upon me like, uh, like a midnight clear. Uh, I'm minding my own business, and then the nose just got stuffed just as the show began. I'm like, oh, your mother. And so uh, it's it's working its way out. So I apologize for that. But if if I hold a belief... And the private business is there to care for the kids. Do they, can they tell me that my beliefs don't fit into their cycle? Now, I must say that as, as a, without hearing a more convincing argument, my answer is absolutely. Absolutely. Let me give an example. If you open up a daycare and you only want in your daycare Hispanic babies, I think that's allowable. Let me go a step further. If you have a restaurant and you only want to serve people who are Hispanic, I also think that's allowable. This is, I get it. I, this, this seems to get people kind of nutty. Do we believe in a free society? Yes or no? Do we believe in a society where people get to run their business as they see fit? I am having this issue uh, in the world of credit card processing. You guys may not know that my, my, my parents getting older as parents do and you end up taking over and you're helping with this and you're assisting with that. My parents still have a business. And they have been in the credit card processing business for decades. So me and my, my brother, the good Dr. Katz, we do more advising, consulting, taking over, right? It's just, it's just the way it is. Well, there is a whole conversation, and, and you, might, you might have a business in going through this, about how businesses can charge their customers 
But Visa and MasterCard seem to think that they can decide for the business how they can charge and where they can charge. And for, you know, can you, can you have a convenience fee on this? Can you have a charge on that? Can you, why do I have to have two different sets of pricing here? And people who are business owners are like, why is Visa all up in my business? Why are they all up in my stuff? Visa's saying, well, you don't have to take Visa. That's not, no, 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 no. That's not it. It is one thing to state that we accept this card and people who, who, uh, who uh, apply for the card, right? They agree to certain terms and things like that. But if it's a legal product, there should be no rules and regulations about what it is you buy, which is why the people who want to create special category codes specifically, it's the cold, for firearms is such a problem because what you're trying to say is, hey, banks, don't allow these charges from these kinds of businesses. You're trying to tell the people who sell guns they're not allowed to sell their legal, lawful, constitutionally protected product. Well, this is the same kind of thing that in, 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 in a series of ways, businesses do get to decide but if the business is now going to have some type of governmental control to it, if the business is going to have some kind of, well, here are the here are the the the, the federal laws that we comply with, and here's and here's what we're allowed to do. We're not allowed to discriminate here. We're not allowed to discriminate there for all the non-discrimination policies that we have. Well, then, good lord, why do you just as a childcare group get to discriminate? against people who have a con- uh, a conscientious belief. By the way, I think Visa is an unbelievably abusive group of people. Anybody who is in the retail world, they know it. They know it. Absolutely abusive. We fight this stuff all the time. I think the bigger story here from Minnesota, when we're talking about childcare, is that this is about further reducing the parents' say in their child's life. The state decided I have to get all these shots into my kid. I think the shots are okay. We changed the system so the kids weren't overloaded, so we could see how things were happening and how they were reacting. So we knew what they were reacting to so we could be more responsive to our child. That was the decision we made. You know what our doctor said? Well, that's cool. We can do this. And we set up a whole system. Some lunatic out there wants to tell me that's bad parenting? Feel free. I'm not paying any attention to you. It's my kids. What does it matter? You want to ask me what I think about parents who actually vaccinated their children for COVID? Not themselves. You're you're 50 and you decided to get vaccinated. I have zero argument with you. You did what you did. Not, e- not even angry. Your kids? I just shrugged my shoulders. All right, your kids. Okay. God, I really hope that works out. And I do. 
Cause holy heck, do I not, do I not want anything bad to happen? What's happening in Minnesota is that they're trying to say they know best for your child. Can a business make a decision? Well, I usually tend towards that. But what they're saying is parents, when it comes to education and when it comes to being able to get it, oh, they can get the the public education as long as they follow all these rules that we decide for them. Whenever I see things like this, it reminds me to break the teachers union in two. Dismantle education as it exists right now and start again. Because the parent right now is not fully in control. And that is not a system worth having. I'm Tony Katz. $355 million. That's where we're going to find Donald Trump for no actual crime. We're going to find Donald Trump because the banks that lent him money didn't do their due diligence? No, they were thrilled to lend Donald Trump money. The parts that we don't admit to ourselves, that's the madness. But this this uh, decision from this judge, the attack from the attorney general of, of, uh, of New York, the abuse... Worthy of a conversation. We will get to that on the other side. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. From the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. A shot of economic reality. I thought this was interesting. It was a post I saw on, on X by Aaron Wren, who's... I don't know him personally. He's written a book. He's got an interesting cat on conversations about civility and I certainly don't agree with him politically on a whole host of things. But he posted on, uh, on, on X, right? It used to be Twitter. should still be Twitter. The whole name is ridiculous posted about a condo for sale. Normally, who would I be to pay attention to it, to a condo? Um, it's a three-bedroom, two-bath condo at North and Lakeshore in Chicago. Many of you know, know Chicago. You know the area I'm talking about. Tony Katz 
Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. Give a call. Love to talk to you. This is a condo that is, is, was it right near? Right near Chess Pavilion? Was that right near the museum? North, North Boulevard and Lakeshore, yeah. So uh, near, near Northside, south of Lincoln Park. Um, that's as good as I can do, looking at a map, understanding Chicago. It's a three-bedroom, two-bath, 1,850-square-foot apartment. I'm looking at the pictures right now. It's got a little bit of a view. The kitchen has marble. It has a washer and dryer. The washer and dryer actually in the kitchen. Very European. It's a nice looking place. It is a nice looking place that has got the view. It's been mostly redone. It's got a little bit of an urban touch, urban feel to it. It sold for $393,000. That would make me stop as well. Exactly how much is Chicago on fire? And can we take this and apply this as a conversation about cities writ large? That they're all on fire. That there is... uh, a, a massive push, massive push to get out of the cities as quickly as one can. Who can stay? In what world would a three-bedroom, two-bath, 1,800-square-foot condo in Chicago, in an area you'd, you, you wouldn't mind being in, Go for less than $400,000. How much more of a story do you need to be told that the cities are failing? That cities across the country are failing? A failing city is not proof that one needs an authoritarian hand. Failing cities are proof that the Political apparatus or apparatchik at play doesn't provide a value. I, I'm going to get into this. I've gotten into this. I've got more to say about this, this, this topic. I, I, I didn't know I would have a theme. Every now and again, I do. and Because you, you find these stories and they're not the same story, but they're kind of repetitive of, a, of, a, of an idea of, an, of, a, of a, they're telling you something, I should say. If people don't want to accept that the cities of America have failed the cities of America, well, then what's this? A three-bedroom, two-bath condo for less than $400,000. Well, Tony, what that is finally is that it's housing that some people can afford, but really it should be less, and we should make sure that all of these apartments and all of these condos are at prices people can afford. My gosh, there shouldn't be a condo that costs more than $82,000. Best of luck building your city. Best of luck. I won't argue that there are some cities where it's just too expensive. When I lived in California, 
it took me a while to understand that I did not have to worry about how I was going to afford the mortgage. The mortgage company had to figure out how to give me the mortgage. It's a super, super weird thought process. Now, I was hoping beyond hope of a cut that a couple things would work out for me and they didn't and I didn't get the house and and I, I will admit that while there was a house I was trying to get in Simi Valley uh, that if I had gotten it it would have taken it would have taken huge amounts of pressure to get me to move out it had the land it had the pool it had the view of the mountains and of this cavern below me it was it was it was a it was the dream for me this is what i was looking for but nothing worked out and i couldn't afford the house and some things that were supposed to close didn't close you don't want to know every aspect of my life it's 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 enough it's 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 good it's fine but when i was looking at the house the house then them in California was was a decade ago. The house was what $800,000? I don't know. Maybe somebody be like, oh, that's it? Um, California prices, exactly. And I always said, how in the world is this going to work? Mortgage companies showed me how it was going to work. Don't get me wrong. It was going to be a payment. But their job was to figure it out because they had to get the house sold. I always thought that was kind of amazing. So we can make the argument that there are places that are too expensive. Clearly, California is outrageously expensive. Outrageously expensive. Unnecessarily expensive. Fake a market expensive. Ridiculous stuff. But you know, that's not the thing that caused people to move out. It's not that the housing was too expensive. It's that life itself was too expensive. There wasn't enough value for what they were getting. When I saw that the actor Nick Searcy just moved out of Cal, I don't know if you know Nick or not. Nick is an absolutely wonderful guy. And I saw the post, uh, see a Burbank. I said, oh man, we are getting to the stages where someone's going to have to turn off the lights before they leave. And that will be the last person out. And that person is coming soon. A guy like this, Nick Searcy from Justified on FX. You've seen his movies. You've seen his, his you, you follow him on, on, on Twitter X. You, you've seen his work. He doesn't leave that place for no reason. He leaves that place. And this is me saying it. I, I did not engage with him on it. You leave that place because it became too difficult not too expensive, although that's a part of the difficulty. It became too difficult. Isn't that the story of Chicago? Chicago is, for all us Midwest folk, Chicago's kind of awesome. The art scene in Chicago is fantastic. The food scene in Chicago is fantastic. The feel of that city Walking along the river is fantastic. And slowly but surely, week after week and month after month and year after year and mayor after mayor, 
progressive mayor after progressive mayor, it just got to be too difficult. I was scheduled, this was last spring, to go to, I think it was Whiskey Fest in Chicago. I had the media passes. I had the early access. I had everything. I was going to take Eat, Drink, Smoke, My Cigar and Bourbon show. Fingers Malloy and I, we're going we're gonna to drive up, spend an overnight, get there early, be sipping bourbon, talking to fancy people, <laughs> living the good life. And then when the time came, we were like, eh, I have no interest in going to Chicago. Whiskey Fest. The bourbon was paid for. Didn't go. When I first moved here, when we couldn't afford real vacations, we would take the kids and we would do a weekend in Chicago. Usually in a place that had uh, the hotel had an indoor pool. Because then, you, you know, you could come back after the day because the kids could only handle so much. And the kids would swim and they were like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to us. And you're like, this is kind of this is kind of good. This is kind of relaxed. Okay, we can afford to do this. Not too shabby. Good on us. The last two trips, the last two times we've thought about it, I should say, we were like, eh, nah. My youngest and I once drove to Chicago for Garrett's popcorn. We drove grabbed the popcorn, drove home. Didn't even stay. Didn't hang out. I think it was, it was the, I think it was the Christmas before COVID. And, and it was Christmas Eve. It was like nine degrees. But we drove up for the day to get some popcorn, which is, you know, a fun thing to do. I don't know if we do that today. The cities have failed and the cities have become too difficult. And that is because all of these cities, whether it be Chicago or San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York or Indianapolis, they are connected by their progressive politics and their progressive politics make things too difficult. It does not take a brain surgeon. It does not take any level of skill to note the connectivity. Just admit it. Some people say it's too exp- too expensive. Some people say it's too dangerous. But the truth is, it's too difficult. It's the reason you never go to that one restaurant in the strip center because it's too hard to pull into the damn parking lot. I gotta make a left. I gotta go over traffic, and then it's kind of crap. Ah, forget it. Let's just go to the place we usually go to. You know how many restaurants fold, go out of business because the parking lot is simply too difficult to navigate. That's Chicago. The parking lot's too difficult to navigate. It's just too difficult. You want to be the mayor of a city? Make it easier. You make it easier by making it safer. You make it easier by ensuring that the basics are handled. Trash pickup, snow removal, things like that. You make it easier by being welcoming. You make it easier by not pushing an increase in taxes or areas that have special tax zones. You make it easier by not saying, hey, criminal element, you're more than welcome. We won't prosecute you. Don't do that. 
prosecute the criminals and say we are tough on crime here. Enjoy the streets. Enjoy our city. Have a great time. Knock yourself out. Spend all of your money in all of these cafes and all of these businesses, this, that, and the other, and set up your business here and employ people here. But if you commit a crime, you're going to jail, kitten. That's how we do. Make it easier for people to work and enjoy. And yes, it's true. One of the things that will happen is the three-bedroom, two-bath uh, condo, 1,850 square feet on North Lakeshore Drive, that will go for more than $393,000. It'll probably go for $600,000. And you'll say, my gosh, this place is unaffordable. For some it will be. Remember, there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. But you'll have a city that more people can come into and enjoy. You want to know what progressives do? They make life too difficult. It's one of the reasons why I'm not a progressive. I'm Tony Katz. So it goes. And so it goes. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-468-8669-833. Got Tony. That's how you get to be a part of the show. Nintendo is down 6% because the Switch 2 is getting delayed to 2025. Well, that's got to make you miserable, Nintendo. That's a reason enough to be down, which means they're going to delay this so it passes Christmas? Oh, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. And the the, the switch that, that that's out there is, what, it's like seven years it's been around. And been in existence. My kids love it. I play Fortnite on it. I play by controller. What? What? Don't don't you judge me. I can get the victory royale like nobody's business. I can't build worth a damn though. Tell your kids. Tony cannot build at all. Like the, the ones who can speed build, those people are freaks. I think it's cheating. Uh, it's also cheating when you can get like a bot to work with you. That's that's nonsense. And the medallions are ridiculous. All right, I've said enough. I've said I've said too much. I'm done here. That's an interesting story about Nintendo. That they're gonna miss they're gonna miss the holiday season. That is something. Uh, there is a story, of course, of the Houthi rebels engaged in another attack in the Red Sea, causing the crew of a cargo ship to abandon ship. The uh, crew uh, is uh, safe. The Houthis uh, saying that the ship, uh, the ship suffered catastrophic damage in the Gulf of Aden. This can be translated a different way. 
all that talk about the U.S. and the U.K. going after the Houthi rebels and fighting back and ensuring the navigable seas for all of us, ah, maybe not. The Houthis have to be taken out. And that can be translated as we're at war with Iran even if we don't understand that Iran is at war with us. Or we're at war with Iran or we don't understand that because we have yet to be honest about the fact that Iran is at war with us. And they are. And they are. So uh, is our plan to continue to believe that somehow this isn't happening, the U.S. striking back? As reported by Fox News, you've got five different self-defense strikes that have taken place. If they, the Houthi rebels, remember the Houthis are with Iran and they're involved in this proxy war against Saudi Arabia via the civil war in Yemen, it is a, it is a, a horror show. But if they can stop ships from sailing they will prevent, and they can prevent other ships from sailing in those areas. That changes how we buy goods at the local store because it's how we get the goods. You can talk about drones and you can talk about robotics from now until the end of time. You need a ship that is manned by men and women to get from point A to point B and to be sure that other ships can get from point A to point B. Because it doesn't matter how good the virtual world is, toilet paper has to exist in real life. I don't know how I don't know how else to say this. But there are some things you just can't do virtually. Some things require the assistance of the product, and the product might get shipped from point A to point B, and that has to happen safely. Otherwise, it's gonna cost more. We already know that with Maersk, which is a massive shipper, M-A-E-R-S-K, a container that used to cost $2,400 to rent now costs $10,000 to rent. And another attack means more ships saying, we're going to go around this way, we're going to avoid this, it's going to cost more in gas, it's going to cost more in, in the manpower, therefore you're going to pay more for your product when it gets landed. I'm Tony Katz. Do you think there comes a point where the public, or at least the persuadable part of the public, sees the impact of these fines and maybe it starts to make them a little nervous about Donald Trump? Um, first, can I just pause? And I have no idea what Trump's cologne would smell like, for, first of all. Um, I mean, it could smell like bankruptcy. I don't know what he's sponsoring his cologne as in this course of this uh, selling this. Um, I think you're right to focus on the persuadable public because we basically have 90% of the public locked in. 
which is 44 45% totally with him, 44 45% totally against him, with about 10% left that's going to ultimately decide this election in the key states here. I think it could have in this all of these you know, judgments against him can have effect on him in three different ways, I think, politically in this. It's first is it's a constraint on his ability on spending money in the campaign. If he was going to use any personal assets or if he's going to seek money from other people in order to help him pay this, that constrains his political campaign. I think the idea of getting political advice from Matthew Dowd is in and of itself proof that a network is unserious. And when MSNBC goes to Matthew Dowd and he makes some snide joke about Donald Trump cologne smelling like bankruptcy, you're supposed to just change the channel and say, okay, we're done here. But no, my job is to actually listen to this nonsense so I can share with you the nonsense that's being said out there in an effort to try and, I'm not even sure what, because it's not just about winning an election. It's about destroying a different party. Second is, does he begin to be titled as a criminal or as a lawbreaker in this? And that, I think, could ultimately have impact on that 10 percent. But I think most important is is the impact on his brand. And his brand has been built in two ways. Successful businessman and winner. And all of these lawsuits and all of these judgments basically hurt both of those men. One, he keep, continues to lose in case after case after case. Oh, good Lord, Matthew Dowd. It's, it's not just embarrassing that you missed what's happening. It's that you're so proud that you missed it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. And by the way, my my apologies. I was discussing uh, the, the market. I was giving you how it closed on Friday. It's President's Day. Markets are not open today. Although uh, the story I was sharing with you with the Houthi rebels, that's that's today's uh, story. So I just I, I should have engaged that with more clarity. And I apologize. And I, and I thank those on X who reached out. I was like, hey. The market's closed. Absolutely positively correct. Th- that much is 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 true, and, and I appreciate it. Allow me, however, to get to just a, just a quick on, on President's Day. There is no worse named holiday ever. I don't celebrate presidents in Toto. I could celebrate specific presidents of specific achievements. I don't celebrate Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I don't celebrate the New Deal. I don't celebrate the pivot that led to really uh, the abusive nature of today's government. Nope. I don't do that. Not interested in celebrating President's Day. Thank you very much. Good night. Let us discuss what happened to Donald Trump and this uh, decision. This $355 million decision against Trump where now I'm supposed to listen to pseudo-intellectuals like Matthew Dowd and say, you see, this is going to hurt Trump's brand because people are going to think I'm a loser. The loser is us. Donald Trump was brought to this trial by Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, who ran for office by saying, I'm going to go after a specific person. Not I'm going to be hard on crime. Not I'm going to go after abuses of, 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 uh, of government. Not, not, no, no, no. 
nothing concrete in terms of ideas or philosophies, I'm going to go after Donald Trump. She was elected by the people of New York to attack a citizen. If you're okay with that, congratulations, you're part of the problem. If you're okay with that, if you're okay with that level of abuse, you're the authoritarian you keep warning about. Everybody always wants to tell me, oh, be careful of Trump. Oh, be careful if you elect Trump. Trump's a strong man. Oh, my gosh, you elect Trump. It's going to be the worst thing in the world. He can't be trusted. That man is such a danger to democracy. You elected a woman who said, I'm going to use the power of the office to go after a citizen. Tell me more about abuse. Would you please? Tell me more about abuse. Representative Benny Thompson, you have something to say? I'm not surprised, but I'm really disappointed that there are still so many people in this country who somehow see this person as a viable choice to be the Republican nominee for president of the United States. Who are they supposed to vote for? Hey, listen, we could have had Ron DeSantis, but here we are. Oh, and I'll get into Nikki Haley's dreams, uh, her fever dreams coming up in a little bit. I'm disappointed that anybody thinks Joe Biden is actually in charge. I'm disappointed in anybody who thinks that all of these conversations and all of these indictments somehow are rational, lined up one right after each other and not actually election interference. I'm disappointed by people's ignorance too, Benny Thompson, just in different ways. So Letitia James goes after Trump. Letitia James makes the claim as Attorney General of New York that Trump engaged in in fraud because when he was applying for loans, he overinflated the value of his assets. He made himself look better on paper than he really was economically. Made himself look too good, and therefore he got, wait for it, favorable loan rates. What? Well, yeah, yeah. See, see the, 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 the banks lent him money, but if they knew that he wasn't worth that much, they probably would have charged him more interest. Oh, okay. The loans got paid off in full. The banks got paid back. That's what happened. The banks got paid back. Did he overinflate? Very possibly. I'll go so far as to say yes. I don't care what a ju- this judge found. This fix was in, as people like Andrew McCarthy had been writing about for a while now. We already knew what was going to come. It was just a question of when it was going to come. We knew this would be the decision. So nothing about this decision is surprising. What is surprising is the number of people who are thrilled by it. I can't believe, Representative Benny Thompson, that there are so many American citizens out there who are desperate to be authoritarians and go after individuals and really want to be like Stalin's main guy, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Laventry Beria, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. That is no way to run a country, yet that is exactly the way New York runs itself. 
I'm going to run for office to go after a specific guy, and I'm going to decide that there was a crime where no one got injured. I'm willing to bet you all the money in my pocket against all the money in your pocket that Donald Trump is not the first person to embellish on a form to get a loan. As a matter of fact, I am willing to bet all the money in my pocket against all the money in your pocket that that happens all the time. Get it, you nit! Listen to me. It happens all the time. It happens every single day. People lie when filling out a form and then put themselves in a position on that form to look better financially than they really are. I'm willing to bet that that happens all the time. He's crazy. If I'm so crazy, Olaf, then why don't you explain to me the entire implosion that took place in the real estate market. Why don't you explain to me subprime loans? Why don't you explain the CDOs? Explain to me how a custodian making $42,000 a year afforded a $750,000 house. Either no one cared or someone lied. These are your options. And I'm not saying that someone didn't care. As a matter of fact, that could very well be the answer. The banks that were loaning to Donald Trump didn't give a good holy damn about what he put on the paper. All they wanted to do was be in business with Donald Trump. And someone said, hey, there's an issue with a couple of things that he wrote on here. And somebody else said, Tommy, come in here. Come in here. Let me explain to you what's going on. And then Tommy went in the room with so-and-so from the bank, some very, very fancy guy, three-piece suit. And when they came out of the room, Tommy said, we got to approve this loan. This guy's perfect. And you're like, what happened in there? No one else was in the room where it happened, the room where it happened, the room where it happened. Who knows? I assume it's that the bank wanted to be in business with Trump and they were going to say yes to anything. If you told me that Trump didn't pay back the loans, you'd have a conversation. But he did pay back the loans. The argument is he got too good of a deal. What do you mean he got too good of a deal? You mean like Chris Dodd did with Countrywide Mortgage? Oh, I'm sorry, too soon? No? Yeah, okay. I didn't think it was too soon. I thought it was I thought it was a good time to bring that up. So no crime because no one got injured. There was no injury that took place. I absolutely concede that he most probably embellished without question. But to say that he intended to defraud, he paid back the loan.
And so a judge, Arthur Engeron, says you owe $355 million and you are not allowed to do business in New York for three years. Uh, Trump is going to appeal this decision by challenging the definition of fraud. I don't know how this is going to to play out. We're going to get some more information about this. What I think is important here is a part two. And by the way, if you had said to me that you embellished and therefore X, that'd be one thing. $355 million is radical in every single situation. But let's talk about the not doing business in New York for three years. Because some people think this is going to damage New York. Certainly, there are guys out there saying, well, we're not going to do business with New York. This is a, a, a trucker. Hey, folks, you're old pal Chicago Ray. Uh, I've been on the radio talking, talking to drivers for about the last hour, hour 15 minutes. And uh, I'm talking to at least 10 drivers going the other way. I'm heading down from South Wisconsin. And uh, they're going to start refusing loads in New York City starting on Monday. All right? Uh, I got about three drivers that I drive with. They already vibrated the boss and told them they ain't going to New York City. So I, I don't know uh, how far across the country this is or how many truckers are going to start denying loads to go going to New York City but I'll tell you what and what he tells you is blank around and find out truckers won't drop things off now I don't know if this is going to be the case or not I don't know but right now in New York, they're concerned that this is going to have an effect on businesses who say, I can't do business here. Someone wants to go after me next. How in the world do I do business here? The governor, Kathy Hochul, is saying, well, this is, look, this is a very, very rare situation regarding one business owner. No, this is about an ideological group of people who don't believe in the rule of law, but believe in attacking those who politically disagree with them. That's what this is about. And let us be clear about something. For all those people who hate Trump, Letitia James, Governor Kathy Hochul, name, name, your, name your leftist politico. They've done nothing for New York. You know what Trump did? Built a skyline. You know what Trump did? Built a tax base. You know what Trump did? Created jobs. You know what Trump did? Fixed the, the skating rink. The ice skating rink that nobody could fix. He fixed it. Trump has created jobs. Trump has created a tax base. Trump has created opportunity because he's an egomaniacal freak who wants to see his name in gold high on top the skyline. Nothing I said isn't true. And you just threw that guy out. It is my hope that he says goodbye and starts building in other places and helps them build. But if you think what happened was justice in New York, you believe in the kind of justice that Vladimir Putin believes in. You took the man, you found the crime, 
and no one's better off. I'm Tony Katz. No word yet on whether or not Fonnie Willis is going to keep her gig, at least on this case regarding Trump. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. One could assume that it's possible and and probable. But I don't know if you heard her father talking about, oh, I always taught my daughter to keep cash. It's a black thing. I got, I I don't don't even have time. I need to get into it because no, it's not. No. I, oh, I am prepared for the fight. I know this because my father is not black and he has taught me the same things. I'll get into it. This is Tony Katz today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. This is not just about music. This is about addressing the injustices in our society. Now it's time to organize formally and bring into the halls of Congress the power and the transformative nature of hip-hop culture. Our goal is to make sure the hip-hop community has a seat at the table as we work on federal policy. Oh, um... Oh, okay. That's 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 great, but what about country music? No, I'm asking you, Jamal Bowman, Congressman Bowman. Hip hop has to have a seat at the table. Sure. What about country? Uh, will the polka artists of America? Will they have a seat at the table? And will there be enough room for the accordions? What about smooth jazz? Does smooth jazz have any room at the table? We live in the most unserious of times. Tony Katz. <laughs> Tony Katz today. 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. That's I I I am I missing the context? Where hip-hop has to have a seat at the table as we work on federal policy? That's the goal? You know what the goal should be, uh, Congressman Bowman? Making sure that veterans aren't homeless. I mean, if we're going to have a goal, the goal is, is, is one of two things. Veterans having homes or Lizzo having a say. These are your options. Pick one. Good God. By the way, if you say to me my choice is veterans having homes or Carrie Underwood having a say, it's still the same. Veterans get homes. As for your your polka artists, I don't know. I think you have to go back to the days of John Candy and Eugene Levy and talk about the Schmengi polka. And for some of you, that earwig is going to stay for the rest of the week. You're welcome. I take you to New York. 
where very stunningly at St. Patrick's Cathedral, they allowed for a funeral to take place. It's a weird, weird story about this this funeral that happened for Cecilia Gentili. Cecilia Gentili was a transgender activist. How in the world could a funeral have taken place for a transgender activist? Well, the the archdiocese said the cathedral didn't know what the future what the funeral would entail. They weren't told. They only knew that friends and family were request, requesting a funeral mass for a Catholic. A thousand people showed up, more than a thousand people showed up. Where, if I have it right, they started referring to this activist in the church as, as the, I, I don't know what I'm allowed to say. The mother of all... Um... You somebody who takes cash for sex. Do you mean a prostitute, Tony? No, no. I I mean yes, but there's a there's another name. It starts with a W. And uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know what the rules are of the stations that I am on that would allow this or not allow this. But they kept saying. Ah, I'm doing it. The mother of all horse. And they kept this great. That's the word they used. They called her great. This great W and this wonderful mother of all. That was that was the eulogy. Catholics are disgusted. They are apoplectic. The church is going to offer a mass of reparation. The transgender community is overjoyed. I think we should note that the transgender community is an abusive one. We're not talking about people who want a seat at the table. We're not talking about people who want to just live and let live. We're talking about people who want to abuse, who want to destroy, who want to humiliate, who want to attack. And if you don't celebrate them, you are the enemy. I am not celebrating any of this. And I would love to see the L, the G, and the B drop the T as quickly as possible because the T ain't okay. The T is abusive to children. The T has no respect for for Catholics, for religion in general. They only want to dismiss. They only want to destroy. They only want to denigrate. Don't tell me about, oh, the children. You don't give a damn about the children. Let's at least be on the same page here. You want to claim that you are something other than you are? Feel free. You want to claim that you're a woman when you're a man? You go right ahead. When you're an adult, you go right ahead. You're not. And how dare you ask us to lie for you?
to lie to you, to lie for you, to lie to your friends, to lie to ourselves. It's disgusting. It's an obscenity. And of course, it's destructive. But now you want to lie to the church and utilize the church to have a funeral that is mocking what it is that the church upholds. You can't just live your life, can you? You can't just live your life. Other people now have to celebrate your life where they suffer, and you have to insult the way other people live. They're not insulting you. They're not paying any attention to you. You want to go into where they are and insult them. And then when they say anything, you want to say, see, homophobe and transphobe, to hell with you. That's the problem. No one's told you to go to hell. No one called you the names that you are engaged in here. No one told you to kiss off. No one told you you're a punk. This is the problem. The problem is that you think that you can get away with this destruction of society and of culture and of rationality and you're utilizing the social contract to do so. For a while there, nobody was paying attention to you at all. Really, it was just, it wasn't on the radar. And then it was on the radar. I was like, okay, there goes RuPaul. But that was drag. That wasn't saying that you were something that you weren't. Then it got into saying you were something you weren't. And we we're like, okay, but that ain't right. And then you said, oh, by the way, our kids are trans too. No, they're not. But you a desire to confuse them. You utilize schools, another reason to break the teachers union right in two. Oh, to hell with them, to confuse kids. You didn't want to let parents know. You wanted to culturally engage in confusion of children and then take children who were in a questioning spot and physically abuse them. Well, the answer is cut off your breast. The answer is take this drug. The answer is take these puberty blockers. And then you had the audacity to tell them it wasn't permanent. You lying, disgusting cretins. Of course it's permanent. Of course it changes them. Of course it damages them. And then you went about creating legislation that made parents decide that, well, I had to go along with this. Otherwise, I'd lose my kid. And now you want to lie to the church so you can humiliate the church and say, look at us. If the L, the G and the B had any brains whatsoever they would drop the T as fast as they could. Because the T, as it is being utilized, is not about people living life. It's about people trying to destroy lives. Tony, you're attacking children who are just trying to be their true authentic selves through surgery, through mutilation, Since when do we think that children mutilating themselves creates a better world? Well, Tony, kids have nose jobs. Yes, 
Little 15-year-old Rachel had a nose job. That's absolutely true. It was right after her bat mitzvah, and she'd only asked her mother for the past four years, and finally it was happening. The big nose job. And when Rachel got done with the nose job, you know what they called her? Rachel. And she looked a little different. Sometimes she ended up like Jennifer Grey. But nobody said a word. She was still our beautiful little girl. And she's going to find a nice young boy who hopefully will be a doctor. Pretty please. It was still Rachel. Not Ray. Don't compare what is not comparable. Don't embarrass yourselves. Like you did at St. Patrick's. The social contract is what gets manipulated here. The social contract dictates, for example, that you don't hit a woman. I understand what that is. You don't hit a woman. By the way, you know why? Because men are not women and women are not men. There's a difference in the sexes. Just as a great reminder of how that works and comes to be. And then, of course, uh, all of the ways that comes to be culturally. There are women who have taken that to say they can do anything they want to a man. They can be as rude and abusive and aggressive and nasty. And what's going to happen to them? Because you can't hit a woman. It's an abuse of the social contract. The social contract is what stops people from running you over when you block traffic. But there you are standing up for some alleged whatever uh, uh, issue And you don't care that people are getting to work or you don't care that people are getting to little Tommy's basketball game or you don't care about the ambulance. You're going to save the environment by blocking traffic. And people get out of their cars and they say, move, and they ask you to move and they beg for you to move and they yell you to move and you don't move because you understand that they're not going to run you over and you're not going to have to hear your own bones pop when the tire heads right over your femur. You abuse the social contract. I reject this premise. People who abuse the social contract are not adherents of it, and neither do you have to be with them. People who block traffic should expect to get run over. I've been saying this for forever. And people who want to abuse children and think it's okay for children to mutilate themselves are not only wrong, but they are disgusting and they are despicable and they should be fought back against. And the so-called trans community that wants to abuse churches and churchgoers, they should be met with derision and disgust. Now, Christians are going to turn the other cheek. I don't think they should. I think they should look at the so-called trans community, this hateful group that it is, not because I said so, but because you said so. And they should say, we're disgusted with the way you treat us. Disgusted with the way you act. Shame on you. And we're not going to give you any credence anymore. And no, this church isn't for you. You want to abuse this place, to eradicate this place. The answer is no. Of course, some Christians are going to tell me otherwise. I get that. I understand. And I'm happy to debate it. But I am not willing to debate 
a so-called movement that isn't based on decency. And I'm not going to debate a movement that thinks it could take the L, the G, and the B for a ride. It's time for lesbians, gay people, and the bisexual to stand up and say, dude, I'm only talking about sex. Whatever this is, I want no part of. Put tea on the island it belongs on. And then let's be more proactive in protecting our kids. I'm Tony Katz. Tell you a story about the house in blue. I come home one Friday, had to tell the landlady I done lost my job. She said that don't confront me. Did you hear long as I get my Charles Barkley, the NBA All-Star game, which just took place in my beloved Indianapolis? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. And Charles Barkley has taken heat for this. I, I, I didn't know that being honest was a, was a problem. Let me put this up right here. Hey, 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 hey Reggie. Yes? If you, had a, if you had a chance of being cold or being around a bunch of homeless crooks in San Francisco, wouldn't you? God, that's so good. You can't even walk around San Francisco. Yes, you can walk around. Yeah, with a bulletproof vest. <sighs> it's not funny because it's true. The the very concept of perception and, and how these 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 cities are viewed, you know, it goes back to something I, I, I said earlier. San Francisco is not safe. People leave San Francisco because, just like they leave California, it's just too difficult to live there. That's why. Part of it, I think, comes from this idea of forgetfulness. And allow me to relate this to something that took place a few days ago in Paris. At a venue in Paris, the young people were chanting free Palestine, opposed to the Israeli defense forces, and they have said they're going to get rid of Hamas. Good. I leave uh, for, for Israel in a little over a week. I'll be there for eight days. We'll be reporting back everything else. I'll have more to say on this in the days ahead. So there they are at this music venue in Paris chanting free Palestine. The venue that they are at is called the Bataclan Theater. Now, some of you have memories. In November of 2015, there were a series of attacks from Islamists in Paris Suicide bombers outside the Stade de France. 
This was during a, a soccer game. And then another group of attacker firing on cafes and restaurants in Paris. Someone detonated an explosive device, killing themselves in the process. Then there was a mass shooting and hostages taken at a concert. Eagles of death metal, 1,500 people inside the Bataclan Theater. So less than 10 years ago, Islamists like Hamas were murdering people. And less than 10 years later, here they are, the so-called smart young people cheering for Islamists. Um, life is uh, sometimes more uh, frightening than the fiction. The ignorance and the proud ignorance. I take a look at France and I take a look at how they've engaged immigration. You're going to get what you get and you're already dealing with it. What is important for us is to recognize maybe there's a way not to have this. And we should work more aggressively to not have it. This is Tony Katz today. how to throw a party. Indiana knows how to throw a party, people. That's who we are. Hoosier people are party people. What up? Hey! When it comes to the NBA All-Star Weekend, look, we're built for this. We do this. We do this well, whether it's the NBA, whether it's Indy 500, whether it's Pick Your Sport, uh, the Super Bowl, this is kind of our thing. This is what we do, and yes, we do it better than the rest. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. The question is, what did we think of this NBA weekend? Did this weekend hit, well, the way we expected it to hit? Did Indiana, did Indianapolis come across the way, well, that we wanted it to? And what about the money? That might be a different story. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Gary Dick joins us from InsideIndianaBusiness.com. On the Xbox at IIB, at Gary Dick personally, G-E-R-R-Y, at Gary Dick. There's a bunch of stuff to get into outside of the the All-Star game. But economic uh, impact, what are we talking about? What are they looking at? And uh, what do we think the uh, results have been from this weekend? Yeah, I think high level, Tony. I think, uh, you know, 50,000 foot view. I think Indy knocked it out of the park. I mean, I really do. Uh, as they typically do, as Indy typically does for big events, be it the Super Bowl, Final Fours, you can go on down the list. So that's not much of a surprise, really. I think the expectation was it would be a great event. I think it was. Uh, $320 million is the estimated economic impact. And, uh, you know, I, I think maybe to your point uh, before, jury's still out. I think that impact, the true impact, impact of what this all-star game uh, will be is maybe three or four years out. Steve Simon, owner of the Pacers, uh, alternate governor for the team, uh, made the point on the show last weekend. He said that return on investment is down the road, the big return. You have the immediate dollars and cents that come into the economy. But in terms of the uh, the image-boosting results, talent attraction, those uh, business attraction, those types of things that may come out of this won't be known probably for two, three, four years uh, down the road. But I think just the high-level uh, 
look, how how the city looked, how Gainbridge Fieldhouse, um, Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, how it all looked, I think, came across uh, very well to a to a, a global TV audience. 200, I think it's 215 countries uh, saw the game uh, over the weekend. So a big opportunity for uh, for the city. Yeah, I, I think that two things there that, that are interesting. Steve Simon's conversation, I think, is a, is a solid way to look at some of these things. We take a look at the yeah. now, but we have to take a look at what comes. What does yeah. the event mean for eyeballs that are looking at it, that are planning other thoughts or planning uh, other conventions, other conferences, other events? And how does this kind of seep into their head almost in an inception uh, kind of way? And then there is, you know, for, for all that the NBA All-Star Game is about, uh, the field house and the game that took place there, the impact of what Lucas Oil was able to do and kind of showing off that among stadiums, it really still is the creme de la creme. You can head out to Vegas all you want. Oh, yeah, beautiful mountains and some nice weather. But you actually want to get something done. Lucas Oil is the place to go. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. You know, you go back to the Super Bowl and you talk about longer-term impact. I remember having a conversation at the Super Bowl with the folks from Visit Indy, and they talked about, I can't remember the number now, it was five or six big, big convention uh, planners were in town for the Super Bowl. I think most, if not all, had never been to Indy before. And that visit ultimately translated, I think, into a couple of big events coming to Indianapolis that came you know, down the road. But again, the impression made during the Super Bowl. And I think the potential is there uh, for that kind of impact from the NBA All-Star Game. The Indiana Economic Development Corporation uh, invested some money to to advertise around the game, but also to uh, to entertain and to uh, connect with site selection consultants and some of the big-name companies in Indianapolis for the All-Star Game. So we'll see where that plays out uh, perhaps a little bit down the road. Talking to Gary Dick of InsideIndianaBusiness.com on the X Twitter box at IIB. I know that you actually spoke with Adam Silver, uh, the commissioner of the yep. NBA. I know he spoke at the Economic Club of, of Indiana uh, uh, event. I, I've, I've, I've belonged before. I, I kind of I dig the conversations that they have and, and, and what they're doing. It's just they're usually lunchtime conversations, and I've got a radio show. I don't get to, to, to go all the time. But from your conversation with Adam, Adam Silver. Uh, What was your take on their take regarding Indianapolis? And did you feel it was a lip service conversation? Because after all, you're there. Or was it a, hey, we should spend more time in this city? Yeah, you know, that's a great point. I did not feel as though it was lip service. It was just being nice. Uh, you know, typically you can you can spot that. I'm sure you can, too, when you do interviews. Uh, uh, folks, uh, you know, talking uh, in front of the mic. Uh, for me, it's uh, when the camera is on, they may say one thing and then uh, uh, say another uh, behind the camera. But I, I did not sense that whatsoever with Adam Silver, who has a, a, a very uh, strong affinity for Indianapolis. That's been very clear. He's called it uh, – no, he said no city does big events better than Indianapolis. You know, he talks about Vegas and some of those other big markets that do these do these events, certainly. But he uh, he feels very strongly about Indianapolis, and he has a, a very strong relationship and close relationship with Herb Simon. Uh, and that was very clear this weekend in, in some of his comments. Uh, but he talked about Indianapolis as a host city during that economic club uh, luncheon. And in his view, it's the collaboration, the cooperation that he sees 
cities here that is unlike any other city, Republicans and Democrats working together, uh, whether it's from the state standpoint or, or locally as well. So he uh, he's very high on Indianapolis. The NBA is. Question is, will some of these some other events uh, come here? How about the in-season tournament that was in Vegas and that was a hit? A lot of people were confused about it. I was. I didn't know what the heck it was. But it turned out to be a pretty good event for the NBA. Will that come to Indianapolis? So did this set up, did the All-Star Game hosting this time around set up future events for the NBA? We'll see. Now let's uh, take a move towards talking about a larger impact on, on Indiana. You have the story that Congressman Mervan, that's, so that's up in the, the, the first district, uh, congressional yep. district, discussing the idea of bringing a hydrogen project, which is planned for the BP Whiting Refinery. Now, the hydrogen power conversation takes us in a different direction in Indiana, right? Not just solar, not just wind. And and for the record, uh, the solar projects where Israel's investing, let them invest and let them build the panels. The wind turbines I find to be ridiculous. The hydrogen conversation is fascinating. What is Congressman Ravan saying about this? And is this a partisan project or is this getting bipartisan approval? Getting bipartisan support to be sure, Tony. You, you bring out uh, the, the point that hydrogen, there's a lot of support for hydrogen production. You talk about the quote-unquote green economy uh, and, and creating something, hydrogen, that can fuel some of these heavy industries, heavy-duty vehicles. Cummins is in uh, to this in a, in, in a big way as well. But this hydrogen hub you're talking about, uh, and the congressman is talking about in northwest Indiana, there's a consortium, three states, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, came together to bid to the federal government to get money to create this hydrogen hub. The access to Lake Michigan, absolutely critical. You need water to do these kinds of things. And uh, Congressman Ravan made the comment that I think the number of 15,000 um, uh, jobs will be created in terms of building this at the BP uh, Whiting Refinery. Uh, you know, several years ago when that refinery was undergoing a major transformation, $3.5 billion, I think. They had uh, construction and tradespeople working on that project. I think for six years, this impact potentially could be could be much greater. So Indiana positioned very well for this whole hydrogen move to hydrogen. you got a lot of companies. You've got BP and Exxon, and I mentioned Cummins earlier, number of big-time companies that are investing heavily in it. Indiana feels as though it's positioned really well uh, for that to happen. And Northwest Indiana in particular because of the access to Lake Michigan uh, really could be a primetime player. And that's the latest, uh, I think, in a series of things happening up there that you know really ha- hasn't happened up in Northwest Indiana for many years. You've got a billion dollars from the U.S. Department of Energy. You've got yeah. Representative Ravan thinking the private sector funding could reach up to $6 billion. I'd love to see how he gets uh, to that number. But this, again, part of our ongoing conversation, that the better the state does, the better for Indianapolis and forces Indianapolis. Indianapolis to be uh, in, engaged in more competition with these other cities. Yeah. This is good for Indiana growth. Gary Dick inside IndianaBusiness.com. I appreciate you taking the time. Always appreciate Gary Dick taking the time. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. Not a single one of us is alone in taking a look at some of the things that we do in America and asking, how does any rational person come to this place? What is the logic 
behind some of these inane and if not just flat out insane decisions. This is the, the, the latest one. But it's not the only one. And if it was you and me and, and the bar stool uh, sipping a bourbon, we could find tons of these. It's like in San Francisco, where they just uh, in- installed somebody who is not a citizen of the United States to oversee elections. Uh, it's, it, it, it strikes the ear as how, how does that work? How, how is that possible? This is in New York. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything happening over at TonyKatz.com. I'd only appreciate it if you would. Now, you, you'll hear, oh, sure, it's it's a story about New York. You're like, of course it's crazy. But New York, oh, that, that's not the case. It wasn't always a nutso place. It wasn't always criminally and clinically insane. That is That is absolutely not how things went for for a great number of years it was a place of normalcy and certainly one could argue uh after the world of david dinkins and you got to a world of rudy giuliani never mind what you think of him now i'm talking about him as mayor that place cleaned up that place had it together and even in the days of dinkins in the days of ed koch this was there there were issues and crime issues, all sorts of things. There wasn't insanity. There was an actual demand to do something about the crime, as opposed to how dare you find people guilty of crimes? Don't you know that they're just oppressed? That kind of madness didn't play. In New York, they are now giving out cash payments to migrants who don't normally qualify. So what happened is the governor, Kathy Hochul, Change the safety net assistance program. This program that they have to help people, uh, uh, ostensibly, it's a welfare program. It is what it is what it is. And no, we shouldn't be proud of all the welfare programs we have. We should be asking ourselves why so many people need welfare. This would be the standard operating procedure. This would be normal. You don't judge a society based on all of its programs, I think you judge a society based on how many programs you actually need. So the rules got changed in May, and they allow non-citizens who have pending applications for asylum to receive benefits. This was a report from the New York Post, confirmed by the people over at Fox News. You can go confirm it for yourself. So these non-citizens who have pending applications for asylum receive benefits. So they're eligible for these payments. According to a spokesperson, a small portion of the $4.3 billion the governor set aside for the migrant crisis has been used for the payments. So noting, or estimating, I should say, and here's the reporting, 90% of the current migrant population in the state would not be eligible for the benefits under the new rules. Why is anybody, they didn't pay in. So this is part of the insanity conversation. If you are a New Yorker, why would you accept this? Why would this be okay by you? Why aren't you saying this isn't right? Why aren't you saying how dare you? Why aren't you saying these people didn't earn it? These people don't deserve it. Citizens first.
Now, someone might say to me, but Tony, that is inhumane. We're talking about children here. I don't listen to that conversation because that conversation is meant to stop a conversation. And I reject the premise. What about the children is a way of saying, screw these people. And these people are the ones who paid in. What about the children is clearly stating that you should not have a say. Others should not be able to speak out. Just take what it is. The Roosevelt Hotel is right now completely full of people who are here illegally or who have come across the border and waiting to have their asylum uh, applications processed and they got sent to New York. Whole hotels are full, being paid for by the taxpayer. Now you're asking New Yorkers to pay additionally by giving these people benefits that they shouldn't actually be eligible for, but the governor made a switch. And you say to me, Tony, this is what they voted for, this is what they get. (gasps) On this, we agree. On this, we wholeheartedly agree. This is the madness you voted for. You voted for Eric Adams. You voted for Kathy Hochul. You could have had Lee Zeldin. This is what you get. The question is, why do they accept it? Right? This is very much what happens if you're if you're at the zoo and you're watching an animal act in a certain way. You're like, why does it do that? What, is, what does it get out of that? What's the benefit? What do New Yorkers get out of this? What is the benefit? And how come they don't change? How come they don't change their mind, change their attitude, change their politics, change their philosophy, change their vote? Why is it that they never change? They clearly can see that this is madness, just like they saw when they they took James Madison High School. They said, sorry, no kids can learn today. It's cold. So all these migrant families are going to be living in here for a day. And parents said, how dare you? Did a single one of them change how they vote? Did a single one of them change how they donate their dollars? Did a single one of them, did a single one of them change anything about how they do anything to be able to get a different result? I don't believe that to be true. I don't believe they made any changes. I would be stunned to learn that they made changes. I'd be thrilled, overjoyed, but stunned. So that's the question that so many of us ask. How come they don't change? And the answer is, I don't know. But I think we should learn from that. And when politicos don't treat us right, and when the agency class wants to abuse us, I think we should change and not allow that to happen. Find everything at TonyKatz.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.